Approaching the holiday season, a lot of us dwell on what it means to be home. For those of us in the upper northern hemisphere, it's probably even more biological than just a feeling. The winter drives us to find warmth and community against the coming cold. The idea of home encapsulates that feeling. It doesn't matter whether that home is a house, a city, a region, or most probably, people. Home is, especially in the next couple months, where the heart is. But this year, there are a lot of you who might be missing that home. Maybe you're lonely because you have a smaller group of people you can interact with. Maybe finances are keeping you tied to a job. Maybe you've recently lost someone. If any of the myriad possibilities this year have kept you a little further from that sense of home we all seek around this time of year, I want to just say, from Ryan and I, we love you. And thank you for being a small part of our home and letting us auditorily into yours. One thing I'm doing this 2020 winter in order to feel more at home is to return to some books and movies that remind me of what makes me me. I think a lot of us do that when we are missing people or places that make us us. My wife, for instance, watches Elf every year with her best friend while they string cranberries. Which are disgusting, and I don't get the cranberry thing, but but I get it. It's something that reminds them about why they are connected, and it's really sweet. One tradition that Ryan and I have started is Tea Hanksgiving. We love falling into whatever Tom Hanks movie that calls to us and finding a little bit of home. This year, we probably picked the most close-to-home Tom Hanks movie by going with Sleepless in Seattle. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably no stranger to this movie. But since this is your first Tea Hanksgiving with us, I'll do it upright. Written and directed by Nora Ephron, who needs no introduction in this genre, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks can't help but shine in one of the most seminal rom-coms ever made, 1993's Sleepless in Seattle. I saw you in the street. Are you Annie? Yes. You're Annie? This must be yours. I'm Jonah. This is my dad. His name's Sam. Hi, Jonah. Nothing like hearing a couple of people drinking something on the radio to turn off every viewer we have. Mmm. Cup of Java. Mmm. Speaking of Cup of Java, do you like Fraser, Ryan? I love Fraser. 
I love Frasier too. Um, on this very special episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Com, we'll mainly be talking about one of our favorite movies, Sleepless in Seattle, but you might hear an occasional reference to Frasier because this movie was basically a preemptive Frasier. Like, they're like, mm, let's do some test audiences. Do people like Seattle? Do people like the rain? Do people like... Scrambled eggs all over my face. David Hyde Pierce. Yes, they do. Yes, they do indeed. And I think this was the same year that it came out, right? 93, yep. Oh, man. If I was... I was alive in 1993, but I wasn't participating in grown-up movies and television shows. But if I was, I would have been a very happy boy if I knew who David Hyde Pierce was at Me that time. Me too. And not only do we have David Hyde Pierce, but we have Kenny. Kenny! Yeah, uh, who is, if you haven't seen Frasier, he's the uh, station manager eventually. You guys, Frasier is so good. Yeah. Go watch Frasier. Get at it. Welcome, everybody, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm Kelly McCrillis, and as always with me is my co-host. Tired. <laughs> Ryan's tired because he's been taking care of a baby. Um, why, why do nine-month-olds have to be awake between three and five? This sounds like a bad joke. It is their destiny, Ryan. <laughs> no, no, I say, why? You gotta, ask, you gotta say, oh. why? Why, Ryan? Oh, I don't know. I'm not good at jokes. <laughs> um, this week, we watched... A Sleepless in Seattle, the Nora Ephron directed and written. Um, co-written. Co-written with... Other people. Her sister? Well, Delia helped, but it was also... This is part of um, uh, Aaron Carlson's book, I'll Have What She's Having. It covers the behind-the-scenes story of this movie, so if you guys want to know the in-depth story, check that book out. Yeah. Um, and before we actually get to the story of the movie... Uh-huh. I have a game for you, Ryan. Oh. Yes. I have been planning a rom-com game for you. I have actually got a couple lined up, but today's game is going to be... Guess that couple! Yeah! Do -do 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 -do. I have no idea how to play. So, the basic rules are this. I will give you a clue to a famous couple in film or TV. Okay. And I'm going to give you four clues. If you can guess the couple before or after by the last clue, uh -huh. then you win. If I can stump you, even though I give you good clues, I win. What do we win? Um, pride. My respect. Oh, I've been looking to get that. Let's play. <laughs> um, those listening at home, just make sure that if you know the answer, shout out as loud as you can because we're, we're in Portland. I don't know where you are, but... Yeah. Obviously, we aren't going to hear you unless you shout. Let me hear it. Shout at your radio. Give us a call on a yeah. phone. <laughs> so, our first couple today comes to us from the meet cute of math class. Math class, okay. Mean girls. <laughs> Am I right? You are! Yes! That's amazing! Um, so, that was Caddy and Aaron, or Katie. Mm -hmm. Katie. Her name is Caddy. Caddy Heron. <laughs> um, my next the clues for that one were the girl is a nerd, the guy is a jock. They don't start dating until halfway from, through the movie because mm -hmm. uh, he's dating somebody else. This and, also sounds like a John Hughes movie. And she throws up on him. John Hughes. I know. Like, so, uh, I, I was actually thinking that wouldn't take you a little bit longer, so maybe I'm going to have to make this game harder, but I'll stick with the clues I well, now. Oh, and another thing about John Hughes, uh, Tina Fey said that 16 Candles was the main inspiration behind Mean Girls, so going to throw that throw that into the wind. Okay. That's why it fills. Oh, there it goes. Oh, no. Come back. Um, okay. Our next celebrity couple. <clears throat> they meet during the summer. 
500 days of summer. No, you, I should probably you only, wait. You only have one guess, okay? okay. Um, she's a cheerleader. He's a tough guy. She's a cheerleader. He's a tough guy. Cheerleader. 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 Okay. Okay. <clears throat> They're both great dancers. Uh, okay. Do I get another clue? You do, unless you can guess it early. Because, I mean, you get a lot more of my respect. Cheerleader. Tough guy. Dancers. Can I ask questions? No. Oh. But they dance. Mm-hmm. Cheerleader that dances. Not Julia Stiles. <laughs> Ryan's looking at me as if I'm going to give away something that I'm not. But it isn't. I mean, it's not It's not 10 things I hate about you because she's, plays a, she's a soccer player. And they don't mean it in the summer. They meet in the summer. Do you want the last clue? I'm going to guess now. Okay. And I feel stupid because I haven't seen the movie that I'm going to guess. But is it Dirty Dancing? <laughs> no. Dang. It's not. She's not a cheerleader. But they mean the summer, right? And they're good dancers. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just, I figured maybe she was a cheerleader. I'm going to give so you. So can you give me like. Close. Uh, well, I'll let you judge. Okay. Um, because the last clue I'm going to give you, and I'll see if you can get it this time, is they drive a flying car. Harry Potter? They drive a flying car. It's at the end of the film. <laughs> drive a flying car. All right. You want me to tell you? Well, okay. I'm thinking of all the flying cars. And you it's, got... It's not... It doesn't fly until the end of the movie. Right. That's it, Back to the Future. It's not magical. It's not science fiction. But that's Back to the Future. It's more caught up in the moment. Like at the end of uh, 12 Boys I Love Before 2. Greece. Yeah, Danny Zuko and Sandy. Why does the car fly? I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay, so you're one for two. But I was close with the dirty dancing. Kind of. They dance. Yeah, but they do that in like half the movies, especially if you're in India. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so I also one. want to point out, point out other flying cars in movies. Harry Potter, Back to the Future, Flubber. Flubber, that's true. Oh, I never got why Flubber flew, because it should have just bounced. It should have been a big bouncing car. Well, he doesn't... He creates an engine. He doesn't bounce, per se. He can zoom in and out. Remember when he's in the glove? He's, like, zooming in and out of his glove. No, he's not bouncing off the glove. He's zooming in and out of the glove. So he's just zooming the car. It's just pure kinetic energy. Yeah. You're saying he as if Flubber is an individual? I always, well, no. Flubber, but they split apart into a whole bunch of different little dudes. When he's a car, he's an individual. He's not a car. They puts him in the engine. Right. But he is in the car. He's the gasoline for the car. And when they anthropomorphized him, he just kind of looked like a fat guy. He didn't look. With glasses. He didn't really look like a girl okay so this it's is the same way like flubber talk but it's so we're like, gonna continue is r2d2 a boy or a girl does it matter i don't know <laughs> okay wouldn't that be helpful to clarify that for us star wars no okay <laughs> it would clear some things up they call him a he though um, right but why so for your third one are you ready uh-huh okay clue number one they meet in a car they meet in a car mm-hmm the same car. The same car. Okay. Go on. They are both dancers. 
<laughs> answers again. <laughs> okay. They are both triple threats. Oh. Like Fred Astaire. Right? This is what I call a poker face. Oh, speaking of which, how do you wake up Lady Gaga? With a p- p- poker face? <laughs> well, you p- 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 poker face. You don't oh. look at her with a poker <laughs> face, but yeah. <laughs> She's like, why are you looking at me blankly? <laughs> I'm awake <laughs> and creeped out. All right. Okay. Triple threats. Both of them triple threats. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of con- covers with dancers. So I'll give you an extra clue here, okay? If this goes, if this was, this movie was in reverse, it would still be Grease. <laughs> Most of their time together is spent on a studio lot. Mm, I want to say Singing in the Rain. It is Singing yeah! in the Rain. Yeah! It is yes! Don Lockwood and Kathy. Yeah! Woo! In your face. No. Wait, well, I don't. Did I win? I mean, I guess like, two, out, two, of two out of three. Two yeah. out of three, I won. Two out of three is good. Next um, time I want to do three for three. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Um. Next week, we're actually going to play a different game. Okay. We're going to go back and forth between these two. I'm excited. Um, well, Ryan, back to today's movie, Singing mm-hmm. in the Rain. No, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, Sleepless in Seattle. Sorry. Although we should do Singing in the Rain. Yeah, we will. We'll get there. Um, why don't you tell me a story? Oh, here's the story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. You got Tom Hanks. The movie starts... This is probably one of the saddest beginnings to any rom-com. Robin was crying within um, five lines in this Has film. she seen this movie? Yeah, as as but many she, times as I have. And she's she's still right there... Right yeah. there with it. Robin was also in an emotional place last night, but yeah, it like destroyed her. <laughs> the The opening for this movie is one of the saddest, like, but almost I mean, heartwarming at the same time. It's not the saddest for all films. There's much sadder films. No, it's but not for, like Antichrist or something. But for a genre that's like, we're here to cheer you up and be a warm blanket. But isn't, like, isn't that the best way to start it off? Is like if you're going to, they basically start off at his wife's funeral, uh, Tom Hanks's wife's funeral. Mommy got sick. And it happened just like that. There's nothing anybody could do. It isn't fair. There's no reason. But if we start asking why, go crazy he's so sad uh, with his his voiceover and the only thing this movie can do at this point is build us up yeah it's, yeah that's it's we start genius. there and we there's only we can only go up from here so it starts with the tom hanks his wife is his funeral Mm-hmm. Um, and they decide he decides that he needs a change um, because very poignant line is he can't he can't be in the same city where everywhere he goes he gets a reminder of his dead wife and bef- right before he makes this decision we're basically given three distinct scenes in Chicago that last for maybe two minutes the funeral the, the his, house his friends explaining how to cook food and then his work <laughs> And then him at work as an architect. It might be the most efficient storytelling I've ever seen, ever. 
Yeah, it's very it's very cut and dry in a good way. Mm-hmm. So then he decides, I'm moving to Seattle. And then we meet Meg Ryan. Then we meet Meg Ryan, who <laughs> is dating Bill Pullman, who's adorable in this movie. He he is adorable. Nah, I wouldn't put it that way. He's so, like, this movie does such a good job of, like, creating a character that is, quote unquote, likable. And that's, like, the best thing about him. Um, because he is he is not the person that is most interesting in this film. Like, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, far more interesting as people. Mm-hmm. But all he has going for him is likable, which isn't enough. Yeah. So Sarah was in and out watching this movie, and she uh, stumbled on a scene that he was in, and she's like, "He's so he's so great." Um, but she was like explaining. I don't think these are the words she used, but basically to sum up, she basically said, "He's cute, but not sexy." Nah, I wouldn't put it that way mm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like like an early New Hope Luke Skywalker. Yeah, cute, not sexy. And <clears throat> you need the sexy. In a relationship, you need the sexy. Or at least I, 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 I do. You need I, the sexy. What, I, I think you, you would need the sexy too. But I think <laughs> this movie is definitely saying he's good but not great because he's cute, not sexy. I mean, this, this movie um, was shot by, uh, what's his name? Sven. Sven. Yifstoff, Yinquist. He was Igmar Bergman's DP. Sven Nyquist. 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 Yeah, that's his name. But we call him Tom. Nyquist. Swedish. Ingmar Bergman's uh, cinematographer. Right. Who. Of, of sin of in the history of cinema, Ingmar Bergman is top five most important filmmakers. One of the best, but not known for bright, popping, cheery-looking films. No, which this movie isn't always. Like they shoot it in Seattle, so it can't be necessarily all the time. But Nora Ephron, in the way that she chooses to frame up shots, like and working with him like works so well within the story mm-hmm. like um we were talking about bill pullman um they're they're heading over to meg ryan's parents house and they take two separate cars mm-hmm. right and they say goodbye to each other they get in their separate cars and then they leave and this entire movie is those two characters doing the same things and basically being very similar but doing them more separately yeah and they work it's a very good portrait of a relationship that works Again, it's not whether it works or not. It's got to have the it factor. It's got to have the passion. It's got to have. Yeah, there is no. There's no passion. It's uh, in like whenever she talks to Rosie O'Donnell, she says like, "Oh, you know, Bill Pullman is just was it what's his name? Harry uh, Walter. Walter. Walter is just so wonderful. He just did this thing, and Rosie O'Donnell is like is us, and she's just like, yeah, uh huh, great, sure." <laughs> <laughs> so Meg Ryan is dating Bill Pullman and they go to family dinner at Christmas time and it's announced that they're engaged. Oh my gosh. Okay, Ryan, riddle me this because I've seen this movie a hundred times uh-huh. and this was the first time where I was like, wait a second. You not, you don't, like cause her mom later on after they do the engagement announcement is like, so how'd you meet? And she tells a story about how they met. Oh, that is weird. And uh, so the parents don't even know that they're dating. Yeah, how has this not come up? Let alone are they living together and they're engaged? So and they're in driving distance of their family, so 
So weird. I guess my question is, we have these two, I've never really interrogated this, but we have these two characters that aren't like Walter is the least impulsive person probably that we've seen in this genre. Yeah. But he's engaged to someone who he's not even met their family. Uh, yeah. It, it, like, I don't ask this <laughs> Maybe question. Maybe it was a quick engagement. Maybe they weren't dating that long. Yeah. that That's possibility. But it's one of those things where I've seen this movie a million times. Never thought to ask the question just because this movie is so magical. Um, it sweeps any question like that under the rug. But this time I was like, wait a second. How many times did your parents see Robin in person before you guys were engaged? Um, let's see three times see you guys are a pretty standardized couple and three times like i'm willing to subtract three times from meg ryan's family like to believe it i'd I'd be willing to subtract those three and make it this is their first time meeting him in person no i mean it is right and so i'm i'm saying i guess it's believable no it like in this movie distracts you from questions like that by just being so well done both in this writing and it's filmmaking and i just want to shout out the other writers here because they're deserved of it um jeff arch jeff uh, david s ward they're both like i don't know what else they've done but great job so let let me let me give the a little quick history of the screenplay jeff arch wrote the spec script Mm -hmm. and it was not like this movie. No, um, no. It was very. It was a very. It was a tearjerker, sad melodrama. And Tom, like Tom Hanks's character was, f- like far more dark. Something. Yeah, it was yeah. a much darker story. And I don't remember how. Read, read, read Aaron's book. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It'll tell you how. But basically, it got to Nora Ephron, and she's like, "Okay, okay, okay, okay. I, I see what needs to happen here." Mm-hmm. And she just brought life into it. So Jeff Arch was the idea, mm-hmm. and then Nora Ephron's the soul of this movie. And it's so funny because Nora Ephron is very East Coast and was for a very long time very cynical. And so whenever she brings life into something, there's always a wry tinge to it. Yeah. like Because like all the other couples around this table at the family dinner are either really sweet or they're like the couple where the guy's allergic to bees. Bees. I'm allergic to bees. Harold is allergic to every type of bee. Yeah. <laughs> Good performance. Robin, Robin, when she was watching it, she's like, I just want to be whatever, Harold. I just want to be Harold, <laughs> who is way less interesting than Walter, but you could see Walter becoming like that mm-hmm. after a while. Comically boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, oh, Nora Ephron, uh, that's the weird thing about this movie and You've Got Mail, is that her first film, Heartburn, is about the most bitter breakup right. in film history. It's and kind of an autobiographical. Yeah, and the yeah. breakups in her subsequent films are so nice. <laughs> well, I, you know what? There's something, I've been through a really bitter breakup, and there's something where I'm just like, you know what? Any breakup from here on, anything I want to write about, even though I could write the truth of that really well because I went through it, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put more of that in the world. Yeah, I think, I think that was my theory in the last time we talked about Nora Ephron is just like she needed to exercise that out of mm-hmm. her soul yeah. and get it out of her system so that she could write these movies and just write something that is cheery. It's like us. writing stream of consciousness poetry. It's not going to be the best, but it's definitely something you need to do to get like your artistic pathways unplugged. Yeah. So anyways, the story goes on um, that Tom Hicks' son, who's eight, calls into a radio show around Christmas time because he wants a 
uh, he wants his dad to get a new wife. So right. And it's been a mother. year and a half mm-hmm. since uh, his wife died. And so this becomes a big thing because it's a uh, coast Na- to coast radio show. Also kind of a Frasier like connection. Right. And her catchphrase is I'm listening. Yeah. This is Dr. Frasier Crane. I'm listening. Which is just it's like wow. I wonder if like Frasier was already in probably pre-production at this point but i'm wondering if i'm listening came from this movie well i was uh, i was watching the special features on the fraser D- dvd uh-huh and when they were developing fraser their first choice was david hyde pierce they knew really it, it needs to be david hyde pierce oh and i just really wonder if like they're like working on the show and they're like oh let's take in a movie boys and they go out and they watch sleepless in seattle like wow that was really good i really like that david hyde pierce and i just wonder <laughs> if it was like totally subconscious of like these things just kind of like i mean down. it's it's completely possible like there's i i know that this this script has cultural touchstones back in it like because at one point in time meg ryan is a uh, a journalist for the baltimore sun and she goes into a writer's room meeting basically mm-hmm. and one of the guys there is pitching a story about the guy who makes the best soup in the world but yeah. is the meanest person in the world and they that's the soup, nazi. the soup nazi first yeah and seinfeld is like soup nazi you say no i think like i think Seinfeld. it's a real thing like, there was a soup Nazi. Oh, okay. But I think Seinfeld did an episode about soup Nazi beforehand. No, later. Really? Yeah. Sleep in Seattle got there first. Really? Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Crazy. Like, this movie is just a cultural touchstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So, his son, Tom Hanks' son, Jonah, calls, mm-hmm. and then Dr. Marsha Fieldstone gets- Dr. Marsha, please. <clears throat> or should I call you Dr. Fieldstone? Dr. Marsha. Dr. Marsh Marsh. Uh, gets gets Tom Hanks on the phone and he opens up about it and Meg Ryan hears it on the radio and she hears Tom Hanks just bare his soul and she has a true, true emotional connection to Tom Hanks because of it. And there's there's this I I just want to get out in front of it right here. There's this um, kind of undercurrent of like reevaluating this movie critically and looking at Meg Ryan's character as being more of a stalker than somebody who has like just this weird connection over distance Mm -hmm. that's not in this movie and so i want to throw it out oh well sarah would just be like i'm not throwing it out sarah will not like this movie she's like i'm sorry there's nothing you can do to convince me otherwise she's a stalker and and i i get it from from like the perspective of if you look at her actions and you judge it a way but this movie isn't doing that. And if this movie had at one point in time been like, this is kind of creepy or there wasn't some inherent, and we'll get to this later, almost destiny-like connection between these two people, then I would say yes. But I'm going to go like, I, I know we talked about this with um, Aaron on our When Harry Met Sally episode, but even though all of the elements are there, like I am, I'm going to say that she isn't a stalker. Um, well, the movie doesn't want to admit to it. Right. I, I guess I'm, I'm meeting, I, I'm doing the work for once of meeting the movie on its level. Why, why this time? Usually you're not apt to do that. Well, it's, it's all to do with quality. Right. But I also think there's a bit of a bias that you're willing to be generous towards this film where you're being ungenerous towards other films. Yeah. And, and I really think it's, it's something to do with, um, like 
let's say you have a, I mean, let's look at celebrity culture for a second. Mm -hmm. But if you have somebody who's a celebrity who is like extremely like has connective tissue to all of their fans out there and they do something stupid, you're more apt to forgive them. And depends on the stupidity. Sure. Um, but if somebody who's like someone that's like famous, but you think they're a horrible person anyway, and they do something bad, you're like, ah, whatever. Right. Um, and I, so I'm, right. I'm it's kind of like Chris Evans did something. I can't remember, but he had some kind of scandal and I was like, it's cool, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but if I think if something you're right, if it was someone else, they'd be like, oh, well, he's still in the trash can. So. Yeah. And I, I like that's I mean, it's not a perfect metaphor, but I I, I get you. I do want to say I recognize that the steps she takes are like pretty out there, but the reward for us and for them, as this movie is telling us, is worthwhile. Yeah, but you can understand why people can't see the forest for the trees. I definitely can. I just am able to be okay with it. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm trying to think of when this situation happened when we were defending a different film, and I feel like both Robin and Sarah were like, but this, and we're like, don't worry about but this. Just enjoy it. Like, don't look at it that way uh-huh. because the movie is not looking at it like that. And right. that's that's why you're totally correct in your critical evaluation is the movie does not want to consider her as a stalker. Yeah, and like, I mean, it's, it's the same thing of like, you and I took a lot of uh, critique classes in, um, in college where we took a piece of literature that was written from a time period and brought a new critical lens to it. And I think that's what we do to a lot of movies, especially in this genre nowadays, because there are a lot of new lenses um, and like pathways of criticism to look at things. And I think those are completely valid. But for this, this movie is so good and I love it so much that I just don't need that criticism. I right. Guess. And it, it, it's really fun when you have like in lit class when you're bringing feminist theory to Jane Austen because it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Just I know like, you can, you can all really unpack so it. Good. But then when you bring it to Ernest Hemingway, it's like, stop it. You're, you're kicking it and it's growing. You're just destroying it. Now, if, if we flipped this movie on its head and reversed the position of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, I think it would be apt for a yeah. stalker, like, like, what does it mean to, like, unhealthily fall in love with somebody and, like, build a psychosis in that? But yeah. since we're so invested in Meg Ryan's character and we know so much about her narratively, yeah, the psychosis aspect just isn't there. Yeah. Like, her, her personhood isn't somebody who is dangerous. Yeah. But, so. there, but there is a curious bias there is yeah i cop to it yeah um so the rest of the movie is basically tom hanks you know accepting like yeah it would be nice to be in a relationship again so getting back in the saddle again as it were yeah it's a great song (laughs) and he starts to date and jonah doesn't like the woman that he's he dates because rightfully so she sucks yeah i mean she's she's not not the worst but but her laugh is just she's horrible you don't like victoria she laughs like a hyena. Uh, and the f- whole film is you've got Tom Hanks' story and Meg Ryan's story, and they're basically an A-B storyline that don't converge until the very end. They're parallel stories. Right. And for, like, it's it's really odd because Ryan and I always talk about chemistry, right? And mm-hmm. you have a genre that's built on chemistry. Um can two people fall in love? And these two people only meet twice in this movie. Yeah. 
but we do get their stories at the same time so that we feel there is a connection. And I don't know about you, but their chemistry is is vivacious for the lack of time spent together. Yeah, but I still am missing that energy f- that you have in You've Got Mail. Hmm. That's why You've Got Mail is always going to be the champion for me, is that I get them together with their repartee together, mm-hmm. because that feels so... That's the vivaciousness for me. But this is like, this is two solos happening for the entire movie. And sure. they're, they're really good solo players. Right. But then when you get You've Got Mail, it's just the greatest duet you've ever heard. You Well, You've Got Mail is far more like Pride and Prejudice, if we're talking about Jane Austen, where yeah. we have these two people butting heads the entire movie and slowly falling in love. And this movie is far more a character study of these two people uh-huh. trying to figure out their own personal love lives and then like being given a key at the end of the film. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's like listening to, Oh, it's like dueling banjos. Where you have these two banjos playing and then at the end they start playing together and you're like, yes, yes, this sounds great. What's that piano song that they play in who framed Roger Rabbit? And it's like, I think it's called The Piano Player by uh, Scott Joplin. Wrong, sir. Wrong. It's also like that. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, yeah, and so basically uh, by the end of the film... Fate brings them together. Well, well Jonah brings them together. Jonah brings them together because he concocts this game where... And it's it's a lot of other characters meddling in the main right. Rosie O'Donnell lives. is basically the Jonah of yeah. Meg Ryan's because what Meg Ryan does is she she can't shake Tom Hanks because his story. his story is just so affecting, and you get to know Tom Hanks through this inter- radio interview from an outside observer so intimately. Yeah, and she she gets really connected to him, so she can't shake this attraction. And what I really love about her attraction is that it's it is personal and metaphysical and not physical. She has no mm-hmm. idea what he looks like. Exactly. Not, not until the, somebody takes and a she, picture of him. And then she's like, thank God he's a hottie. Um, I think the reason why we're on board with this long-distance love, because like somebody else could fall in love with Tom Hanks over the radio, and we would be like, oh, like the, the women who are at the cafe that she stops at. Uh, huh? Right? They, they're both like attracted to him over or one of them is attracted to him over the radio but the difference in the attraction comes down to one line and that's when tom hanks says magic meg ryan precedes him saying magic by like a second yeah do his line magic magic and which means that she and him do have this like special soulmate soulmate type love not to say that they are only perfect for only each other. No, but, but but their potential is vast. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of oscillates between between having this relationship with Walter, which is nice, but she can't shake this other attraction and she's trying to deal with it. And so she starts writing a letter saying that she kind of wants to meet him mm-hmm. just to see what just to see about this attraction. <laughs> and Rosie O'Donnell sends it. Yeah, and she Meg Ryan trashes it, but Rosie O'Donnell sends it. So I sent your letter. That's <laughs> <is> great. <laughs> and Rosie O'Donnell is great in this movie. She's great. Like, I, I think everybody is great in this movie, even like down to Clarice. You know what we didn't get a meeting of? We didn't get the uh, League of Their Own reunion here because oh, yeah, Rosie because O'Donnell is on the team that Tom Hanks coaches. 
so Rosie O'Donnell does that, and then on the flip side, Jonah gets this. There's letter. no crying in rom coms. <laughs> Jonah gets this letter, and he's like, "Wow, Annie." Meg Ryan sounds great. And he's been tearing through the letters. Like, because yeah. Tom Hanks, after this radio show, gets like five million letters. And Tom Hanks is like 5% open to checking out the letters. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe there could be an interesting woman from this. This is my third grade teacher. Um, <laughs> and Jonah shows him the letter from Meg Ryan, and he's like, Brooks Robbins is the greatest baseball player, best baseball player ever. And he does that, hmm. <laughs> and that's such a good, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm listening. Right. There's potential. But he since he's about to go on a date, he's distracted by his own life. And he's like, look, everybody thinks that I'm out of here. I plus, need to get laid. Plus the biggest kibosh was like, she lives in Maryland. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe one of my favorite scenes in any film ever is when he walks Jonah over to the map and he's like, where's Seattle? All right. Where is Seattle? Right. Where's Baltimore? That's ah, right there. Ryan and I do that to each other all the time. Yeah. And so... Tom Hanks continues to date this woman that Jonah hates. And so there's the conflict on the Tom Hanks level is that Jonah is not getting along with the girl that Tom Hanks likes and they can't work things out and he wants it to be mm-hmm. Meg Ryan. But Jonah does take things into his own hand by sending a letter back to her. And saying, we're going to meet. Mm-hmm. You and I are going to meet uh, on the... No, no, she says that to him. Oh. She suggests that does meeting. She? Yeah. Oh, and he says, Sure. Yeah, well, he basically writes it back, and when her and Rosie O'Donnell get the letter, it's it's like written from a fifth grader's. Kid. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> Verbal, <laughs> like Rosie O'Donnell says, you know, that's the reason why we women don't get like aren't in good relationships is because we hold too much of a standard to verbal communication. I wish that Meg Ryan did make the cognitive connection of like the letter yeah. that was written is not the same language that was spoken by Tom Hanks. That's the, that's the only thing in this movie where I was like, Meg Ryan, you should n- know that this is the kid writing. And you sh- you should be able to deduct this because like this She's is- She's a some- reporter. And this is something Sherlock Holmes would have done like high on opium, be like, it was the kid. Like, yeah. Just like he would have just <laughs> known right away the kid wrote that. Well, okay, let's, let's also, because at one point in time, uh, Meg Ryan like basically does some- some light to medium stalking um, through her paper. She um, gets um, a, a PI. Yeah, she, she makes up the AAA detective agency, mm-hmm. and she gets this PI to follow him around. And then she decides after seeing him, um, like I'm going to go to Seattle. And on on the premise, she goes up to her editor, who is also Rosie O'Donnell, who is her best friend, which is a fun kind of relationship. But at this moment a total enabler sure yeah she's like hey i think i need to go check do a story on this guy in seattle and she's like well maybe you should he should go out there too she using company money for that i think so corruption all right (laughs) um so she travels to seattle and finds. i just want to see that audit of her boss of rosie o'donnell's boss like what is this plane ticket to seattle oh meg ryan was writing a story and i'm like what story yeah i haven't uh, seen that yet (laughs) oh Oh, yeah i mean i'm saving it for next year that would have been an interesting subplot. It would have been totally, like, it would have dragged down the plot down. This but, movie like, has so many subplots. But Meg Ryan would be like, shit, I have to write a story about it. <laughs> um, Tom Hanks is this uh, dad, and I heard him <laughs> on the radio. Isn't it sweet, guys? As she goes to Seattle. And she lies to Walter about why she's going. Yeah, which is, no, no, no. Right, and she, like, admits to it to the lady on the plane, which I'm so glad we finally got into the lady on the plane. The lady on the plane asks, don't, don't you, you hate, hate flying? flying and meg ryan here's lying and she's like blah 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 that actress's name is mary kelly 
Right, right, right. Which right. is the like when Tom Hanks and Jonah are having an argument later on about how many people like Tom H- and it comes up how many people Tom Hanks slept with in college. I think I think it's an improv. I think I think he I think she was like on the crew too or something like that. Well, she's also in um she is in Fox Books in um, I think she's I think she I think she, she's a friend of Nora Ephron. I think she works with Nora Ephron yeah. and I'm almost positive what I, this is in the book I know it is. So <laughs> fact check us Aaron, but I think what's going on is like she's hanging out on set and he does the line but he ad-libs the line Mary Kelly. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, we're good. I'm pretty sure that was that was a, a little in joke for the crew. I hope so. Basically uh she shows up in Seattle, right? At the airport, when Tom Hanks is at the airport, sending Victoria, the woman he's been dating this whole time, away on an airplane. And she shows up and Tom Hanks sees her and is immediately attracted to her. And there's something more than attraction. It's destiny. It's magic. So I want to ask you, have you had this moment in your life? Yes. But without talking to the person, love at first sight, just the sight, not even. Yes. Is it Robin? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> I've had it multiple times, though. Um, tell me about some of the times. I'm listening. Well, I had a, a college meet cute. Mm-hmm. Um, it was freshman year. There was a, um, it was in, what was the class where it was like an advisor class? Freshman uh, year? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, Whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah, the freshman class. Um, and it was like an across the class kind of thing. And didn't end up talking to her she was in your class Uh it was right there you could have been like man good class today right no but (laughs) but i didn't end up like having a conversation with her until partway through the semester when we ran into each other on the old steps um on the outside of the english building and did that thing where we each were carrying too many papers and they fluttered everywhere and you're kidding no no it it was the only like meet cute i've had like that you're making this up i'm not you really bumped into her. She bumped into you, and papers flew. Papers flew. Mainly my papers um, and her books, but we each had papers. I I, I want to see the security cam footage, and it's really just you seeing her running towards her and like, and then falling oops, down. <laughs> whoa, got in your way there. Crazy. Absolutely not. Um, it was that I had left um, a whole bunch of like my actual homework out in the car. I had to run down and get it, and then I had to run up, and she was coming out from another class, and we just like, poof. Yeah, that checks out. Um, but yeah, like, so why are you saying that this is something that it's like you've never dealt with? No, I just, I think that happens to everyone where they see uh, the person and you're like, there they are, my Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And I've, well, he didn't even really have the courage. He kind of followed her in the airport, but loses her. It's a light stalking. But he loses her and he's like, oh, oh, well. Um, and I've, I've had several of those moments especially in college where you see the person you're like, there she, oh, there she went. <laughs> and then you see them again cause they're on campus, mm-hmm. but you have no valid reason to go talk to them. Right. And the only way to do it is like, well, I'm clearly hitting on you. Like I have no motivation to like talk to you about anything else. I'm only just acting off of this thing of you're very attractive and I really, really wanted to talk to you. Yeah. But there's, there's this, there's this magic this um, je ne sais quoi. It's French. Oh, okay. That happens when not only are you attracted to somebody, but there's 
there's this something that you quite, can't quite pin down about that attraction that makes it more than just physical. And I mean, that's that's the kind of weird falling in love that we humans do sometimes where you see somebody or you hear their voice or just the way that they're looking at a book or they're just the way that they like talk to a stranger or it, it just you're like, I, I don't know what it is, but I need to know more about this person. And it's I think what changes it from lust to a potential love is I need to know more about them. So when you met Robin, you first saw Robin on Facebook. You saw her like... I mean, I yes, I, I was introduced to her and but, looked her up on Facebook. But but like it started with a Facebook conversation that which led to the in-person conversation. And the in-person conversation is when really lightning struck. But I'm curious, did you have that, hello, nurse, when you saw her Facebook profile? You're like, oh, this... She no, seems... not really. I, I like um I didn't really do any heavy Facebook stalking. Well, just the one picture to look her up and Hey, babe, I love you a lot, but no. <laughs> it was it was like a picture of a leaf. It's like this is not helping. No, no, it was just like it was just a, a picture of her in a coat sitting by a tree or something. And it wasn't like But I'm impressed you remember the details of that, because I can't for the life of me remember what Sarah's Facebook yeah, but I also met Robin like three years ago. Okay. <laughs> I sh- we should have asked me seven years ago. When I know. Uh, but uh, yeah. But I'm going to hold you to it. In five years, I'm going to ask you, what was Robin's Facebook profile picture? Sure. The Memorize it. The, 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 the picture really didn't mean anything because it was just a person I was supposed to meet. Yeah. And everything that went into that meeting was platonic, but spoke of more. Yeah. Um, and... Seeing her face to face was a was striking, but there was so much of me that was like, stop, 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 stop. Right. This is professional. This is professional. This yeah. is professional. So it wasn't really until our second date that I allowed myself room yeah. to. And with Sarah, my wife, my wife. <laughs> oh god! I met her in her dorm. We had a phos- phosphorus conversation fire phosphorus i don't know fiery conversation like it was chemical no <laughs> it was it was sparkly mm-hmm. and i definitely thought she was cute but it was years until we actually had conversations that was flirty and went anywhere so no and there's there's i think that there this movie isn't the one thing i love about this movie's like thesis at the end is they talk about destiny, but it's not saying this is the only way to have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, her mom describes when she met her dad in this beautiful scene where she's like Meg Ryan is trying on her mom's old wedding dress. Mm-hmm. One of them was he was waiting on her or she was waiting on him and they asked each other out and they went on this long walk and it was just, she says it was just like magic and that was wonderful, but it wasn't like this, this thing where they knew immediately when they saw each other that they were going to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and with David Hyde Pierce, it's like they dated for a long time and then she's like, we either need to get married or we need to break up. And it was like, all right, so we got married. Mm-hmm. And this movie isn't judging a lot of relationships, I don't think. I think it's it's saying that there there are a lot of normal relationships and every once in a while there's something that just strikes you as super special mm-hmm. um and those are something that you just can't let go of right like like when 
when we see on Valentine's Day, um, I, I forget where they are um, having dinner at her and uh, Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, Meg Ryan and Walter are just sitting there having dinner and she just can't help but tell him like, this is what I did. I kind of fell in love with somebody that I don't know long distance. And the compulsion to have to do that, it comes from your own life, not meeting the standards that you're holding it to or that you should be holding it to. And then there's this magic that comes from falling in love with someone where in order to react to it in the way Walter does, where he's like, I get it. I'm a little hurt, but I get it. That's magic. That's magic too. Like Walter is very secure in himself and it would be really hard to do, but like that's one of those things that I've thought about a lot where like if I'm, I'm in a wonderful marriage, but if like my significant other from any relationship had walked up and told me I fell in love with somebody else, how much would it hurt me compared to them saying, I just don't love you anymore. That yours is a question I've never considered because I think I'm too afraid to consider it. I, I think I could understand more somebody being struck by love than them losing interest in me because one is a failing on me. One is uncontrollable. I would have definitely, I think I would have aspired to be Bill Pullman if I was dating someone and that happened. Sure. I would not accept the election results if I were married. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I, I think for me, that's what Sarah and I understood marriage to be, is like locking off certain parts of our lives in a way that, like when you're dating, you're kind of, you've made this kind of soft lock, like I'm picking this person and I'm not really pursuing relationships with anyone else, mm-hmm. unless it was like an open relationship, but it wasn't. Um, But when you're married, there's this, at least for us, we understood to be like, you're really locking yourself off from Mm -hmm. other connections. Yeah. Um, And like, it's an interesting question of, I don't think Meg Ryan would have had her heart open to Tom Hanks. Maybe, maybe she would if she were married, but it's one of those things where her heart was looking for Tom Hanks. Yeah. In spite of being in a relationship already, she, her heart whatever it was in her life, wasn't fulfilled. We understand that so readily in her relationship with Walter because like they're leaving her parents' house and she makes a joke and like she does this a lot in the movie where she's like, I forgot the present. Walter, I left your stepmother's present inside by accident. (laughs) I swear when we're old and gray, you're going to have to remind me to put my teeth in. I'll be walking all over town, smacking my gums together and not even noticing. I'll wait. You'll wait. Oh. At, at that moment, he's like... He doesn't like, really appreciate her quirk. Right. And at one point in time, she's like, I just got nervous. Do you ever get nervous? And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's just where it ends. And there's just a lack of connection already. And so she's looking for connection outside of her current lack thereof. Yeah. And what this movie does get right is that I think the the biggest balancing act is Meg Ryan and how she pursues things with Tom Hanks because... You go one step too far and it's stalking, but mm-hmm. also making us not judge her for being emotionally 
exploratory for something else, right. even though she's in a relationship with someone. Because it's odd. She doesn't go about it in the most healthy way, but it, we know that she is doing something that is healthy for her in looking outside of this relationship that would probably be uh, not a death knell to her happiness, but like she'd be living a half-life. Yeah, and I, I complain about this in other movies, but movies where characters have affairs and stuff, it's just like, and they're they're so heartbroken that they did it. It's like, well, you still did it. Like, you, there was something off. There was something, you, you'd still, there was still something that didn't stop you. Right. Um, and this is clearly like, from day one, you're kind of like, you're not completely in love with Bill Pullman. If right. you're already uh-huh. there... If, if you're there at the beginning of this film crying, listening to Tom Hanks' story and being in love with him, we already know. It's okay. We know you're not 100% in love with Bill Pullman. Yeah. You know what? I think um, on that note, let's take a break. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for your new favorite segment, Trope Talk. Trope Talk. It's the- like car talk, but without cars. Exactly. Ryan, what are we talking about today? Destiny. Destiny. You are my density. (laughs) Um, This movie has a couple different instances where they bring up, they they talk about it in different ways. Um, They talk about it mainly, I, I think, from the perspective of magic or just knowing. And it, it, I would say more than the stars are aligned in order to bring you and this person together, that kind of like soulmates we were talking about before. It's more instinctual or like intuitive, yeah, I guess, Yeah. where they see each other and they just know something. Right. But it's undefinable. Well, David Hyde Pierce says it's your subconscious being attracted to someone else's subconscious, subconsciously. Just excellent, Niall. The only missing now is a very tasteful cartoon, you smiling brightly and holding a shrunken head. Thank you, Niles. <laughs> and like this, this, this magic, this connection that these two people have, whether it's coincidence or whether it's actual destiny, we have these characters go through their own lives and through their own actions and through kind of luck, just the universe being in the right place at the right time. Like when, when they actually meet each other on the, um, the Empire State Building at the end. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to meet there. Jonah brought them there. To yeah, be is it together. destiny if if all these characters conspired? But they would have missed each other had Jonah not left his backpack on accident. And that's where that weird luck destiny aspect of these films comes into play, where like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan almost meet at the airport right? Yep. Meg Ryan almost gets hit by a taxi in the same way that uh, What's-Her-Name does, like, because there's another subplot in this movie where they're watching an affair to remember Deborah Kerr. Yeah. Is a car a Kerr? Kerr. Car. Okay. The, the parallels there are, like, the machinations of the filmmaker, but they're also the machinations of this universe, like, causing them to get together. Because it, Jonah didn't mean to leave his backpack, and he didn't know she would be there. The Freudian theorist would say he did. He wanted one more chance to see if she would be up there, and sure. it was completely subconscious. He he wanted an extra chance to see if she would be up there, and that's why he left it. And the logos behind that would be, I leave my crap everywhere. Jonah's just a lever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the movie's definitely saying, no, he didn't have any iota of thought. Sure. He just forgot his backpack. Uh-huh. 
Um, and other ways, I think this this begins almost um, like destiny is something that's been baked into myth and story from you know nigh on the time where we believed in prophets. Like mm-hmm. this is proto Greek storytelling. Mm-hmm. Ancient Chinese storytelling had like destiny involved with characters, mm-hmm. but when it comes to love, the first example I can think of um, outside of like Greek tragedies is probably Romeo and Juliet. I mean, the idea of star-crossed lovers. There's Tristan and Isolde. <laughs> yeah, is, I, I don't really know how much Destiny's in there. I haven't, I haven't read it. I don't it. know. Yeah. It's been a long time since Brett Lett before 1800. <laughs> um, in the realm of the rom-com, what are other examples, and why is this movie so good at it? Well, a lot of characters say Destiny when they really don't mean Destiny. They're just lovesick it just feels romantic for them to say it and that's i think that's the other aspect of destiny is that most of the time it does feel like destiny because of how it's like how in the world are you like this how are we so compatible it does feel so accidental like there's just no way that naturally this could have happened and like a scientist looking at it from the outside would say oh no well you didn't see the five million other people that you met in your life before this point that you didn't coincide with. It's just you were able to recognize similarities biologically. <laughs> yeah, and that's the weird thing about, like, after you're in a relationship, you meet other people that you're kind of compatible with. And you're like, oh, were I not in a relationship, maybe something would have happened there, but I'm not interested now, so, huh. But you kind of see these other diverging paths your life could have gone on. Right, right, in but the you're, multiverse. But you're on <laughs> you're on your path, and you're, you're there. Like, you're happy on your path, but it, it, it's just kind of, you're kind of a tourist to see, like, oh, I see where my life could have gone these eight other directions. There's, there's a line, and I can't remember what movie it's from but it's where um the character says sometimes destiny needs a helping hand and oh I, what is that that sounds so familiar um i can't remember it but like if we if we take a look at destiny and two characters like if connection is one of the most wonderful things that life gives us connecting like harmony going back to like aristotelian like poetics like love equals harmony harmony yeah. equals connection between two disparate things the the idea of two characters falling in love despite the odds involved, I think, is more of what this genre likes to portray in regards to Destiny. I think Destiny does the logistics of getting two people in a room, but after that, it's up to them w- to see where things go. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, I met Sarah her freshman year, my sophomore year, but we didn't really start to have deep connection until my senior year. And that's because we stopped talking for a while. She dated some other guy. We weren't really talking much. But then my senior year, she saw me in the coffee shop in line, and then she just kind of kicked up my leg and just struck up a conversation. And then I came in in my runner's (sighs) gear. (laughs) But it's like... Was it destiny that we were in the the line at the same time? Sure, but it wasn't destiny that made Sarah take an action. She decided to take that action. And I think that's it's like destiny is the setup and like your attraction and your like elective abilities 
is what finalizes I love it. this combination of fatalism and free will combining yeah. right here because I, I feel like, I mean, you know me, I'm when it comes to philosophy, I'm a moderate um, between like those ideas. And I, I, I think you're right. The, the beauty of love is in the courage to take action when destiny hands you a leaf. Yeah, and I think of. I think that's the thing. Is like Tom Hanks sees Meg Ryan in the airport, and if he was more of a go getter, he could have met her then. Because this movie is partially a love story between Tom Hanks and his kid, mm-hmm. kind of like if if you want to look at it like that. And so he has his kid with him. If he didn't, and he wasn't dating somebody, he might take that leap and like have followed her more stalkerly. <laughs> but then that begs the question: Would he have been dating this other woman if? He didn't have Jonah to start asking the question of like, you should be dating other people. Exactly. Yeah. And so like this cascading, the the great thing about a story is it gives us a cascading version of events that are crafted to this one point. And so if the writer is God and the story is life, destiny is simply that end point that you start writing toward. And where we are now, I guessed we were destined to be because there's no other way that we know how we are unless there is a i mean this is getting really philosophical unless there's a multiverse (laughs) (laughs) but regardless throwing all of that out did this movie's destiny when we have our two main characters meet at the top of this building and they barely share more than their names they just share looks do you feel that destiny is true yeah, but I still am adding. I'm I'm calling it fifty percent destiny, fifty percent election. Me too. Yeah. I agree because they're. But I don't. I don't know if there's like this is like Robin cried all throughout this movie. Oh. Um, and Robin is far more skeptical than I am in regards to rom coms, but this movie gets her. Um, and there is there is something about it that gets me too because. In its filmmaking, in its story, in its purity, them not like talking at the end is the only thing that could happen because we... They don't know each other. (laughs) Well, they don't know each other, but... They understand each other. They understand each other. And from that point forward, getting to know each other is just just fun. It's, It's like everything you could want. Once you understand each other, all you want to do is get to know them. But David Hyde's Pierce line about subconsciousness is pretty... Like Nora Ephron's like, no, exactly. guys, it's Nora that's, Ephron. That's the theme. <laughs> I know. And like Nora Ephron is so great at saying like, look, all of these perspectives are correct. It's just different ways of looking at them. Right. And like, like when, when someone's like, what is love? It's like, well, when you ask that question, you're going to get a hundred correct answers. Exactly. And like, like for Walter, if you were like, Hey, Walter, are you in love with uh, Meg Ryan. He's like, yeah, this is great starstruck love. Meg Ryan just has a different perspective on what love is. Mm-hmm. And it's that staring deeply into somebody's eyes and knowing them and knowing that you're on the same level. And, you know, this is why I was so picky dating in college mm-hmm. is that I never wanted to start a relationship where I knew it would be it would be a Walter situation, <laughs> which is really pretentious of me and presumptuous of me of like how was i supposed to know that but i never wanted to start dating someone because it was like eh, close enough i felt kind of similarly and i think a lot of people feel that way especially in like if 
if religion isn't an aspect of your sex life, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times like you're saving like a special moment for a special person mm-hmm. kind of thing. And the same way can be true like in relationships or just like I'm not going to commit to a like a major until I like know what I want. Right. Um, but I guess that involves testing the waters a little bit more so, which you weren't doing. <laughs> No, I really wasn't. And it was my own, my unhappiness was my own doing and my own loneliness. <laughs> and your undoing. My, my loneliness was my own doing. And I always blamed the world of like, I'm just, girls don't like me. I'm not meeting the right girls. It's like, well, you're not trying. And I feel like you always were like, what are you, well, we're sitting on the couch here. What are you, what are you doing, man? <laughs> well, like think about Tom Hanks for a moment because he, gladly he at the beginning of this movie is kind of from the perspective of, I've loved the perfect person for me. Doesn't happen twice. It doesn't happen twice, right? And then he realizes, well, even if it's not the same, I'm going to still try. And he's, I think he needs this perspective of, I'm going to get out there and there's somebody and it's just taking care of my superficial needs for him to, when he sees Meg Ryan, to really be like, oh, shoot there is a possibility of something more than what I'm expecting, which Mm -hmm. is Victoria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when they meet and she's standing in the street and he's like, he walks over to her and says, hi, um, there's an amount of courage there that I I, I think coincides with your philosophy. So I'm going to segue into more of movie talk, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, But that scene where Meg Ryan actually goes to Seattle actually tracks Tom Hanks down to talk to him. She finally finds him on a waterfront. Mm -hmm. She goes, she walks into a highway to say hello. And she sees him with Rita Wilson. Yeah, and she thinks it's him and the girl from the But it's actually his wife. But it's Rita Wilson. (laughs) And Rita Wilson in this movie is also chef's kiss. So good. But that is the only scene in this movie where me watching it critically just i'm just kind of shaking my head i'm like this isn't really working for me because it's just the and i think it's i think it's nora efron for me as the director like the writer i understand what she has here but the director there's just something about how these shots line up and how the drama lines up i'm just like i I don't know i i understand what you're getting at but it doesn't really work for me because it just feels odd him saying hello and her saying hello i'm like you don't feel like the characters you've been in and you've had strange moments at and other times during this film and you have a strange moment at the end of this film and it does work where it's like are you annie and there's like them actually taking each other's hand at the end of the movie has that same kind of like metaphysical specialness and i feel like this scene is trying to get that metaphysical specialist, but for some reason it just doesn't work for me. Hmm. Can I tell you the reason it works for me? Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm saying, I'm like, what I miss? I miss something. Well, here's a place where Tom Hanks has seen her now and she's kind of seen him from a distance and there's some connection there, but they just don't know exactly what it is, right? And you can't start anywhere without saying hello. That's the first thing that they need to say to each other. I think it's the delivery I'm, I'm getting caught up on because he's just like, Hello. Hello. Like it feels really... Oh, really? I, I feel like his delivery was one of, I have no idea what's... Like it's, it's what happens when you're struck with love 
where you're not smooth. You're not like, you don't know what's going on. It's like somebody hit you over the head for a second and you're like, wait, what was I doing? I've been so distracted yeah. that I'm just being as basic as possible, even though right now I wish I was like the smoothest person in the world. And so what he's approaching something that for him feels so big, but in in that way is so dangerous. And so his approach made a lot of sense to me. It sound it sounded like me when as if he was on an island for like three years. And like castaway? And then seeing a human for the first time in three years and is like, oh my gosh, another human. No, I mean that's uh, exactly hello. it. That's right. exactly well, I mean, because it's not a human, but it's somebody else that he has the potential to have a kind of relationship like he had with his wife. He's been He's on an been emotional on a love desert. <laughs> a love deserted island. Yeah. And he's only had Jonah, uh -huh. a.k.a. Wilson. <laughs> Jonah! Um, yeah, but I, I thought it was a special moment. But I, It's not a big deal. I, yeah. It doesn't bother me that much. It's, it's like it's a good scene in a collection of great scenes. But we, I wish it was better. We haven't really talked about his and Jonah's relationship as father and son. Um, Tom Hanks in this movie is the dad I know you're going to be. Thank you. I was going to say the same thing. Thanks. I mean, am I... About on, me. Oh. <laughs> am I on my way? Like, it's hard to tell with just a bit, bit. I've I've seen you pick up your baby and turn him horizontally and then eat his stomach. Yeah. So I think you're going to be a good dad. He loves that game. Tom Hanks is the best dad in this movie because he's he brushes his teeth with his son. He gets into, like, arguments with his son like they're both kind of adults. He treats him... Not as an equal per se, but as he, still a kid with dignity, with dignity. And like the way he takes care of him when he has a bad dream, he doesn't say everything's going to be OK when the kid's worried about not. Oh gosh, it's such a heartbreaking scene when Jonah's worried about not remembering his mom. Tom Hanks doesn't say that's the worst or don't worry, you you always will. He just brings up something that Jonah can use as a lifeline in talking about the way she peels apples, which is also the movie telegraphing that Meg Ryan is, you know, equal to her. And I have to say the, the woman who plays the actress who plays Tom Hanks's ex-wife, she has, and Robin brought this up last night. She has three scenes of her to basically contend with Meg Ryan. And she lives up to the task. I would say at Wrigley field. We know Meg Ryan's an Orioles fan. Uh-huh. Um, Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't see, right. It's, it's just the, um, but we see her talk to Tom Hanks when he's on the couch. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess maybe two scenes, but still, but, but her portraying this person, it's not like she's unreal. She's just, they seem like they are husband and wife in such a good way. Like this filmmaking, just from any of the scenes, how they're lit, the cinematography, the acting, the writing for me, this is Close to a perfect film. As a rom-com or in all of cinema? In all of cinema. And, well, I mean, as a rom-com, I think it's one of the best rom-coms. Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, by the way, I think rom-com gents needs to have a Hall of Fame. Ooh, yeah. And, like, we need to canonize films in the Hall of Fame. And it, it'll be interesting to see, like, is it Hall of Fame? Eh, maybe not. But it still should be in our, our list of lists of rom-coms. And this is definitely in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Booty Call would go into the Hall of Fame. Nah, I'd say, like, 
Sorry, booty call. Like booty call, and I mean that we don't need to sh- sh- shit on <laughs> some of our movies, but um, but hey, we love you, Jamie Fox. Yeah, like there's there's some movies that just have such a like this this movie is both commenting on the genre as a whole because there's a lot of conversations um, as in every Nora Ephron movie as like what is the difference between men and women? Yeah. From Jonah and um, what's the actress's name that plays his friend? Uh, his friend. She she's she's also in um, she's in another movie with Rosie O'Donnell. Gabby something. Um, Gabby something. Gabby. Let's just call her Gabby. Gabby. She's in Now and Then. Yeah. She she's watching an affair to remember, and we get um, Meg Ryan and Rosie O'Donnell watching Affair to Remember, mm-hmm. and then we have Rita Wilson talking about it. Yeah. And all the guys are like, I don't get it. Yeah. And it's funny because that's this is kind of the reason why we started this podcast is because we're like, you we should get it. Get it. You I, should get it. Try and get it. And I feel like this movie is saying, I get why you don't get it, but I'm making a movie so that you do get it. It's like commenting. Yeah. It's like saying, yeah, it's super sad because if you go watch that movie, that is a very romantic moment in that film. But that movie is slow and takes a really long time to get to one of the most romantic scenes in the in the genre. Mm-hmm. But this movie doesn't. This movie is kind of for everybody because it gives a lot of perspective and it kind of redefines the genre at the same time in like kind of coupling with when Harry met Sally. I don't know. Well, I would want to know if Tom Hanks would call sleepless in Seattle a chicks movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, because his character does. Right. He says it pejoratively, but I think, I think that's what Nora Ephron does best is she creates these, these humans who think away and aren't afraid to say what they think, even if it's not what she thinks. Yeah. And I, I, I think Tom Hanks, I don't know what Tom Hanks thinks, but he loves making these movies. So I'd say he thinks they are for anybody. And I I love Rosie O'Donnell's line. It's like, you want to be in love in a movie. Yeah. Uh Because like for her, Rosie O'Donnell is a realist where it's like, there is no such thing as like star-crossed love of it feels 100% special. And, you know, that's her jadedness because she's been through some bad breakups. Sure. Clearly. That's good lampshading too, because this movie borrows a lot from An Affair to Remember, but it's also kind of saying well it's borrowing it because these characters are obsessed with the movie so they would repeat lines from the movie right it's it's kind of meta before meta was meta i think that's the only way that you could justify doing stuff like that of like quoting a film a character quoting a film is because they know they're quoting a film or at least and we the audience know why they're quoting the film because it's one of their favorites yeah yeah i love it yeah me too well, we could talk about this movie forever. Like there's there's so many moments we didn't talk about like just all of uh Gabby's like early 90s H&G. acronym. H and G. Hi and goodbye. I think all of those were concocted by Delia Efron. That makes sense. Yeah. She's she's super witty and weird yeah. as a writer. I like it. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to have to move on and finally give this movie a rom-com Oscar. Yes. Yes. Hmm. I should have thought of this ahead of time. It's okay. Let's both think about it right now. Do you have one? You know what's tough is that the more movies that we get, the less options for... (laughs) 
uh, Oscars are because the pool of nominees is just getting. <laughs> the, well, the, I think they're going to oddly get more specific. Yeah, because I already gave away best screenplay to something, and now I'm just kind of like, uh, can I give another best screenplay? I mean, you can uh, if you want to. I think we're going to have to start like uh, creating a website with all of these, though. If anybody out there is a really good website creator and wants to get at us, at us, hit us up. Um, I'm going to give it best screenplay again. Wait, can you give it a specific kind of no, writing? No, because because it, it just is all across the board really good because... I mean, you gave this last time to When Harry Met Sally. Did I? I or did I give it to As Good As It Gets? Oh, yeah, you might have. Because it's not like the funniest movie. It's not the most romantically dense film. No. Um, but it hits all these qualities well, and it's a well-rounded script because mm-hmm. the romance is really interesting. The romance in this film is metaphysical. It's... Um, but I also can't call it best metaphysics because I'm sure we'll run into a movie where it actually gets into a more sure. science fiction connection. Uh-huh. Like, like, like in Star Wars, in the sequel trilogy of the Force Dyad between Rey and Kylo Ren, that, that is a metaphysical romance. I don't care about this. Okay. <laughs> but if you guys ever want to chat Star Wars, I'm always there. No, I care about it, just not on the podcast. <laughs> but I want to find another rom com that deals in the same kind of science deals in destiny. Fiction, well, science fiction where it's like there's actual spiritual thing connecting them. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll look, run we'll look around. Um, so we can watch Force Awakens next week. No, okay. sorry. Um, that's, the, that's okay. <laughs> we, you know, maybe we'll do a special. A special yeah. episode, though. Like, this one's a special. This is our holiday special episode. Can we do... T. Thanksgiving? Can we do Star Wars romances? We didn't even talk about how this was T. Thanksgiving. Oh, welcome to T. Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, we talked about what, it last week. Maybe, what t- maybe t- that'll t- be one of, my, uh, one of my couples that you'll have to suss out. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it best screenplay. And it's just, best, it's just a well-rounded, very good storytelling. Dialogue's great. Characters are great. Uh, theme is great. Everything's great. I mean, there's a there's a lot that you could give to this movie. Uh, one of the things that I loved about it was that all of the characters, kind of in a Richard Courtesy, Curtensian sense, is all the characters kind of have these personalities mm-hmm. that make them more real characters. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's all the people around the dinner table or the editors in the in the newsroom, everybody's real in this film, and that kind of pervades itself into like the costuming and the decor for the house, like Tom Hanks's office, everything feels like a real place. And part of that is that Nora Ephron and her producers very specifically vie for shooting in location. Mm -hmm. And that's something we talked about a little bit in when Harry met Sally, but like this movie is shot in Baltimore, Chicago, New York, and Seattle. Man, it's a lot of locations. It is. But when you have money and when you have dedication, that's what it takes sometimes to make a good film. You know you're not on like that's why that's why this movie is not only a good rom com for me, but it's a great film. Mm. Um, it's dedicated in so many of its aspects to making a quality movie. Yeah, and it does so. So I you could you could give it to like something, but I, I think this movie is so well paced. I I don't know a movie that. Like this movie never slogs for me. I'm always interested in it. So interested that I like 
like the stuff that doesn't quote unquote make sense every once in a while breezes past me. I don't even have time to think about it. It's not like it's brisk or anything. It's just that every beat that happens happens for a reason when it should perfectly. It's like, I don't know how many drafts Nora Ephraim went through with the, um, with this, but it's obvious that it, it is tight in not only the editing, but the writing and the direction, everything is tight. Well, I, I think you should still give it to best editing because we talked about in enough said that editing is not just what the editor's doing, but it's also what the director's doing as well. Right. I, I'm going to give it best pacing though, because uh, for me, it's a lot about the efficiency of the writing as well. Like them going from this scene to this scene to this scene and everything that was written on the page being in the film. The pacing for me is more than just like, like it's not editing in the sense of how a Edgar Wright film is well-paced that's best cutting well that's still editing though. i know but like editing i do mean very vaguely of like i know i don't i i mean it generally well i guess it's the same thing but <laughs> but like i'm not gonna give it to the editor the editor no I, but that's why i'm saying when i'm saying editing i'm giving it to the director or the writer or the editor for me it's the pacing of it that i yeah. love the most because like the edits are perfect in this film like there's there's not a moment where you're like, where am I? Like the 180 line is perfect. Like, and that's whatever. That's technical. But the art of the uh, art of the editing, combining the direction and the writing into the its post is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love for me one of the great aspects to this film is the Seattleness of it. Yeah. Um, it it does feel a little touristy. The fact that they're let's go <laughs> the down space, the space needle is in every other shot. And they're like, let's go down for lunch at Pike Place. And it's like, okay, when you're in Seattle, it's not like that's where you go every time you go to lunch. It's a very like location-looking place to get lunch. Yeah. That that being said, though, um, as I was watching the the cars drive through Seattle, like the, I was like, Seattle has changed a lot from 1993 mm-hmm. to now. Definitely. Like not only the the buildingscapes, but the amount of people there. And yeah. so them going down to Pike Place because there's there's good places to eat there for lunch. Yeah, um, definitely. I've ate, I've eaten in that restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's just like the idea of them going down there wasn't weird, but I I I feel like I I have no idea. Um, but when uh Rob Reiner starts talking about tiramisu, tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll find out. What is it? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. And he's he's meaning maybe menage a trois or something. I don't know. Um, but there is a tiramisu shop, like, just oh, a block and a half from oh. where they're sitting. And so I'm wondering if they, like, Back gathered then, that. did it feel like an old shop when you saw it? Oh, yeah. I think it's been there for a very long okay. time. Yeah. Uh, for me, this movie feels nostalgic because of that. Yeah. Because I grew up in the Seattle suburbs, and... Just the like the style of the boathouse, um, the interior feels like my grandma's house. Very much so. And uh, like you Jonah's... haven't been there, you don't know. No, no. The it reminded me of my friends' houses that I went to in Seattle mm-hmm. because I I grew up in Spokane. So yeah, and there's this I don't know. There's that familiarity. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this in other episodes, like in Father of the Bride, that the the feeling and the characters felt very instantly familiar to me 
and the setting in Sleepless in Seattle feels very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas You've Got Mail, that's the only thing that I don't relate to is that it's a very New York movie and You've Got Mail. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't I don't relate to those characters as well as because I'm like, I I don't have a lifestyle anywhere near yours, but the characters living in Seattle, I'm like, yeah, I love the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and this this kind of argument is like, as you want to be able to make a movie that exists in local places, but you can connect to almost universally. Mm-hmm. But it also is a good argument for why representation matters. Uh-huh. Because if if you do not see where you come from in any respect, whether it's class or race or location or even just like the kind of music you like, like it. It's like those are ways to connect to an art form. Mm-hmm. This is in my top five, though, um, of all the movies we've watched. So I just real quick, I want to know how this film competes. We touched it in this a little but a little bit how it competes with You've Got Mail, because I, I put my hat in the ring and said, You've Got Mail is the better one, or at least the one I prefer. Um, and I think you're saying, no, no, Sleep in Seattle is the one. I've seen them both lots of times. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, they are pretty equal. I don't, I don't have a camp that I'm going to pick in this because they're two different movies, starring the same actors, but they're doing different things. Yeah, and you've got mail is by default cheerier. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's set in New York. It's it's not rainy all the time. Yeah, it, it has something going on for it that is different than this movie. But I, I don't think I have to pick. Let me, but, I'm making you pick. Well, let's talk. No. Sophie's choice. Gun to your head. Pick your child. Uh, Joe versus a volcano. <laughs> um, oh, secret option number three. But I'm going to ask you Nora Ephron in return and see if you have, out of the three films, what do you think is the best Nora Ephron film? Yeah, I, I feel like we can more fairly do this w- once we get to the You've Got Mail episode. But yeah. you're, you're right. Maybe we should wait on that. No, but so far... I think it's a fairer question to ask, okay, when Harry met Sally or sleepless in Seattle, you know? And so far I actually might pick sleepless in Seattle at least today here. What about this out of the two of them, which is the better rom-com and which is the better film? Oh, because I think sleepless in Seattle is the better rom-com, but maybe when Harry met Sally is the better film. But to me, they're so close. And that's what I'm saying about Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail is that they're so close. It's almost like, sure, I, I like one part of Sleepless in Seattle more, but I also like one part of You've Got Mail more. It's it's weird because given my personality type, I should say When Harry Met Sally because I am such a logic-driven person. You're such I, a pretentious prick. I am. <laughs> no, but I like to think of things in terms of concept in terms of how do i organize this how do i put it into a box how mm-hmm. do i see things and that movie is like men tend to be like this women tend to be like this and life is hard because we don't always get along like that and i like thinking of things in terms like that and someone like robin is like i will not think about things like that i right. can't put things in boxes right they, like I always ask her, I'm like, Robin, which do you prefer, this or that? She's like, I prefer both of them. I'm like, no, 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 but you have to pick one. She's like, I'm not playing this game. It's stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. I know. I Gosh, I, I asked you to do that the other day and you wouldn't do it. It was so frustrating. I know. Um, But 
like if you just talked about when Harry met Sally and how it was like men are like this, women are like this, this is how they are different. And if you notice in these three films that Nora does in these like eight, nine years, um, she moves slowly further and further away from that question. Yeah. And I think the world did that at the same time. Yeah. I, I think it's just like, look, men like this, women like this, peoples are peoples. And they're just different. And we have to just kind of figure out how we all get along as just individual characters and not as like people. Exactly. And I think honestly, Nora Ephron is the reason because even though she's making a movie that is saying like with, with Harry met Sally, she's making a movie that's saying like women are like this, men are like this, but she kind of interrogates that just a little bit in sleepless in Seattle. She kind of says women like these movies, men like these movies, but really she's showing them all existing on the same plane. Mm -hmm. And then in you've got mail, it's almost not even a question. And so it's kind of an art informing culture, culture informing art kind of thing where it's saying no, like, you know, Joe Fox talks about pride and prejudice and he actually knows all about pride and prejudice. He just makes it seem like he doesn't. Yeah. And that Joe Fox is so different from the Harry of when Harry met yeah, Sally. Yeah, and, and the reason why When Harry Met Sally has aged perfectly is because what Nora figured out is, okay, I can say men are like this and women are like this, but I'm really saying Harry is like this and Sally exactly. is like this. Uh-huh. It's about the characters. It's it's about characters saying broad things, but really Nora Ephron as the filmmaker saying individuals are more like this. And what I like more about Sleepless in Seattle is that it feels more like a story. Like when Harry Met Sally feels more like a stand-up comedian, like it feels more Seinfeld of like, have you ever noticed it's that? It's riffy. Yeah. yeah. And it that's a lot of fun, but Sleepless in Seattle feels more like a beginning, middle, end of a story. It does. Um, and, and well, That's and, why I picked Sleepless in Seattle for today. And the end is almost the beginning of the story. Yeah. It's, it's really weird because the begin like the romance has been there the whole time, but the actual execution isn't until the end of the story. Yeah. Which is fun. We're doing T. Hanks giving here. Right. Um, and we're going to do it every November um, for as many t- Tom Hanks movies that can fit into this genre. <laughs> but there are several, which is great. Castaways coming up. <laughs> but, well, you know, romance with him and that ball. <laughs> but T. Hanks is in three films with Meg Ryan. Yep. It's this it's you've got mail and it's the underseen joe versus the volcano highly underrated joe versus the volcano and you know if you haven't seen joe versus the volcano go check it out yeah uh we'll do it eventually on here it's one of robin's favorite if not her favorite films and she's even argues like is it really a rom-com but i i call it close enough i call it close enough as well but one thing we won't argue about we'll just really express is who would we fall in love with? Mm, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Is it Rob Reiner? He, we didn't even talk about like the Rob great Reiner's, scenes with Rob Reiner. Is great. This the if anything is missing from this film, it's, it's more Rob Reiner. It's more Rob Reiner. I could have like I could have used him in a later scene. He just kind of disappears, uh-huh. and that is kind of you, you want him hugging um tom hanks when meg ryan shows up and she's like hey. they were looking at each other really romantically i don't think he's Hello. for me <laughs> but that's the other thing about this film is like it really leans into the crutch of the best friend role where 
you have a best friend there so that your main character can explain how they're feeling. Yeah, but the the one thing I like about this best friend role is it's not he's not talking directly about his um this girl that he likes or something. He's he's like isn't it hard to fall in love and it's almost like Rob Reiner like wants to set him up, right? Yeah. But Tom Hanks is like, no, 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 that's not what I want. I just don't know what it's like out there. And so they talk about it. They don't. It's and this not is like, the When Harry Met Sally stuff. Right. It's, which is good to have here. Exactly. They talk about life. They don't try to solve a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm missing he Rob Reiner does not have the same screen time that Rosie O'Donnell does, and I think it would only be fair for them to have the same screen time. I don't think so, because Jonah fulfills the other half of that. Oh, that's true. You're yeah. right. Okay. I, I think Tom Hanks has far more that's true. stuff going on Agreed. in that regard. So I'm going to say Tom Hanks, okay, because there's something a little nebulous about Meg Ryan mm. that is just a little too... I don't know. What's a... Is nebulous a kind word? Like, I want to say it's kind. Like, it's just not for me. She's just kind of, it's the things that, like, I would be very Bill Pullman about it. I'd be like, okay. like, Is it her pajamas? Do you not like her pajamas? No, it's just, she's kind of a space cadet sometimes. So, I'm just. I feel a very similar way because, like, this movie, I, I don't think about it when I'm watching the movie. But when Meg Ryan and her mom are talking about, like destiny versus coincidence basically um and can i just say again this movie has so many like long takes that are super beautiful yeah. that scene is one of them they start off in a mirror and you don't know you're in a mirror it's it's Spiel, oh, yeah. it's spielbergian oh that's great um but they start talking about destiny and meg ryan's like it's not destiny and then her dress rips and she's like it's a sign and it's a really great moment because the mom's like you don't believe in signs mm-hmm. and it's like well what do you believe in meg ryan yeah. So there's something a little nebulous about it. And character. that's part of the point is that she doesn't know what she wants. And that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And that really works for her character. Um, but she is kind of, there's something, again, I don't want to sound mean, but something ditzy, but ditzy can be really cute too. So I don't know. Yeah, it, there's don't, just something I don't about see her. ditzy as much, but. Something. There's something. <laughs> I, I The things that Bill Pullman weren't appreciating. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't appreciate that either. <laughs> the the one thing that I I really like, um, there's this scene where she's talking to Rosie O'Donnell and Kenny and the other guy, and she's like, You can be a, a widower, but you aren't like widowered. You're <laughs> you're widowed. And and then she like everybody's like, Okay. Okay. <laughs> and like that's something like ditzy that I would do. And so I related to that. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that where it's like, I like you, I just don't love you. That's great, because Tom Hanks does. But I am also going to pick Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's just a perfect guy. Oh, and you know what's interesting about Tom Hanks here? I'm sure you felt this too when, when you were watching it. It's mm-hmm. just like, that's not what dads are like. <laughs> like, did you get that feeling of like, he's so in tune with his son and so in touch with him that... Like, I was like, my dad wasn't like that. My dad was like, my dad, just like. I don't know. I think I think there's um, something interesting about single dads where yeah. they become like a focus of their child's life that allows them a little bit more direct perspective. But my dad's not like Tom Hanks. He is in ways, but he's he's a little bit more, I would say, he's a little tougher. He's a little rougher around the edges. Yeah, um, and your dad's a more taskmaster about 
I don't mean that mean. Sure. But. No, no. But like Tom Hanks is as as a dad is a little bit more like he I don't know. He 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 seems more you're right where he doesn't treat Jonah as an equal, but they're more friends than they are right. like just dad and son, even though Tom Hanks does fulfill that like dad role for sure. Um, but yeah, there's something about the way he treats Jonah that when you were saying like, I think you're going to be like this. I, when I saw him, when I was a kid, I was like, that's the dad I want to be. Yeah. And And that was in the (laughs) nineties. Right. And like, if it's a Saturday afternoon and I'm eight, my dad's going to spend the afternoon watching golf and eating chips. Sure. And I'm going to spend the afternoon playing Super Nintendo. And in this movie, they're going to be like, let's go go on our boat and play football. I'm like, I never had an afternoon like that. I went to baseball games with my dad all the time. So it's not like I wasn't, I didn't sure, have do good things. times. Yeah. But it's just like, it's as if they only did the stuff, the baseball game stuff. I don't ever right. see the like, like he hangs out with Gabby, whatever her sure. name is but that's it other times they're just always it, we don't get a lot of real life between the two of them it's not like jonah we ever see jonah doing chores or right. something because i was thinking about that i'm like if it was my saturday my dad would have been like okay we have to do our chores and so we're gonna be working in the yard for a while and then uh, my dad would like play football with me yeah. you know and like you know he my was, dad had a knee injury i don't i don't hold it against him sure <laughs> my dad did too he just ended up recovering from it well um <laughs> anyway but like my dad like our dads are great and but i feel like our dads are dads and i feel like there's something magical about tom hanks in this movie yeah. that's a little like okay dads aren't always like this but that's kind of his, what's special about his character which is, is why that, we're falling in love with tom hanks here yeah and that's why it's more aspirational <laughs> freudian <for us>. that <laughs> but it is very aspirational of us like well our dads are cool they're things that we would do differently Right. Well, I mean, and that's that's probably how all dads like exist is yeah, no, I'm no sure, dad is perfect. I'm sure our dads were like, well, I'm definitely an improvement over my dad. Yeah. Which, you know, high five, dad. <laughs> you did great. Yeah. But yeah, there's something just so magical about Tom Hanks can have a fight with his kid in this film, but we're still like not mad at Tom Hanks. And that felt the most realistic dad. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, um, because he, Lord knows my dad lost his temper. I'm sure your dad lost his temper sure. over stuff. And it wasn't over something emotionally complex. It was more like, why do you have to play drums at 3 a.m.? 3 a. I never did that. But <laughs> if I wanted to get in big trouble, I would have done that. Uh, there's this one moment where Tom Hanks walks up to Jonah when they're in the middle of their fight. And he looks like he's going to either concede a point or make like a really dramatic statement. And he just slams the door in his face. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And just when he's like, oh, shut up, Jonah. Yeah. And Jonah's like, shut up. Mom shut never up. told me, talked to me like that. And like Jonah is super relatable. I'm like, oh, man, do I remember having that kind of emotional reaction of like, I'm not allowed to talk to you like that. You're not allowed to talk to me like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful dynamic that they're getting into. Really well done. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we already know what we're watching for next week's movie, right? The lesbian Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Also known as Happiest Season. Yeah. It's coming out on Hulu on Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this on Thanksgiving. We'll have another episode in a couple days. Yeah. Uh, this is this is our special interim, interim episode. And this movie's going to drop on Sunday. Yar. Yeah. Or I, uh, the podcast. Pod. And so this is this is the new Kristen Stewart. Um, did anybody special direct this? Uh, Clea Duvall. 
Claire Duval. Okay. She's a great actress and a very good director. And so um, we're going to jump into that because it's kind of the season. Yeah. Like this movie, Sleepless in Seattle, for some reason, Robin and I were talking about it. It's a Christmas movie for us. Yeah. Even though it only exists at Christmas, like for the first like well, quarter of the film. But it is a winter film. Like it, you don't get past February 14th. Right. It, like this movie exists for one and a half months. Yeah. A little bit more than that, but yeah. just barely. It's pretty magical. Gosh, this movie's magic. And so, yeah, that's what we'll be watching next week is Happiest Season. Uh, you have to have Hulu to watch it. So, you know, but you can do a free trial and watch it if mm-hmm. you don't have it. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you have anything else that we missed, I know this is a long, great movie. And so there's probably like some scene that we missed talking about. Write us in. Tell us your favorite scene. I think if we canonize films in the Hall of Fame, that means we get to have revisit episodes. Oh, yeah. I like that. So I'm going to call it putting this film in the hall of fame we will come back to you someday yeah and maybe we'll do a versus episode of some yeah, kind yeah um and if you want to write us and let us know if it's in your hall of fame or if you thought it was sappy as all get out or if you thought it was a horror film stalkerish yeah yeah um write us at romcomgents at gmail.com or hit us up on facebook and instagram same at romcomgents and in the season of giving mm-hmm. um give your friend a recommendation to listen to this podcast. Yeah, or give us five stars on <laughs> iTunes. Why are we talking like Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, that was my Christopher Walken. It's very terrible. Oh, <laughs> that's not Christopher But if Walken. anyone wants any f- to have fun, go watch the trailer for Wild Mountain Time, which oh. stars Christopher Walken being Irish. Yeah, interested in seeing this movie? Ready to cringe at all the bad Irish accents. It's like listening to two different songs at the same time. It's just like, I like these songs, just not right now. He's like a monk who's harmonizing with himself with two accents. Yeah, it's very dissonant. (laughs) Like trying to do Christopher Walken doing another accent is probably the hardest accent to accomplish. I do think that is a good challenge for people who are like wanting to be on SNL and stuff. Like you have to have your impersonations. It's like, all right, challenge yourself. Give them, do your impersonation, but throw in a different accent. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that said, Ryan... I don't know if I, it, it's all, it's always been destiny between us. Um, it's been destiny, but I'm going to take a, my elective actions and say, and put myself out there and say, I love you. Nice. I'm just going to stare at you uh, into the elevator. Uh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide to Romcoms. Tiramisu.